We are reading together in John, the Gospel of John, it's page 1087, if you're using the Church Bible. On Wednesday evening, in our service of preparation for today, uh, we looked at John chapter 18, from verse uh, 28 uh, through to verse 40. Uh, And our theme was, Behold your King understanding his kingship Uh, and we saw the kingship that he rejects my kingdom is not of this world and we saw the kingship that he establishes I am uh, a king Uh, and how uh, that is how he is a king uh, who um, saves uh, and who rules so we're picking up now on the theme of his kingship again as we read now from chapter 19 verse 1 page 1087 in the church bible then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head they clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again saying Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him in the face. Once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews, Look, I am bringing him out to you, to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Behold the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jews insisted, We have a law, and according to that law, he must die, because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. But the Jews kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the stone pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of Passover week, about the sixth hour. Behold your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, Take him away! Take him away! Crucify him. 
Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. Amen. Jews during his trial of Jesus. On this weekend, when the eyes of our nation are on an earthly uh, sovereign, Elizabeth II, and her reign over us, we want to focus on the greatest and most enduring sovereign, Jesus Christ, whom Scripture declares to be King of kings, and his kingdom is without end. We turn again this morning to the Gospel of John. On Wednesday evening our theme was understanding the kingship of Jesus. And now this morning we take up our study at John chapter 19 and verse 1. And our theme is Behold your King Delivered Up. Jesus is in the middle of his second trial here. He has already been tried by the Jewish leaders and condemned falsely and wrongly. And now he is before Pilate because the Jewish leaders no longer have the authority to put anyone to death. And Pilate governs Judea. He's a bit like the Secretary of State uh, for Northern Ireland. Uh, and uh, he governs on behalf of the Roman Emperor Tiberius Caesar at this time. We want to look at this stage in our service uh, at one word, a verb, that is used five times by John as he records the trial of Jesus before Pilate. It is the verb in English, NIV, hand it over. If you're using King James or New King James, it's the verb translated delivered up. And I prefer the uh, translation delivered up. It means to give into the hands of another. It means to give over into one's power. It means to deliver up someone to custody or for judgment. And this verb occurs beginning in chapter 18 at verse 30, then chapter 18, verse 35, chapter 18, verse 36, and then in our passage today, chapter 19, verse 11, uh, Therefore the one who handed me over, or delivered me over to you, is guilty of a greater sin. And then verse 16, Finally Pilate handed him over or delivered him up to them to be crucified. And there are two angles from which we want to consider this theme. Behold your king delivered up. And the headings uh, are on the rear side of the order of service. Behold your king delivered up by the Jews out of mass. Delivered up by the Jews out of malice. 
how did Jesus Christ, a Jewish religious teacher, how did Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the King, come to be on trial before the Roman authority? And the answer is twofold. Through the betrayal of Judas, initially, who was one of the twelve. Mark 14 puts it like this. Judas appeared. With him a crowd sent from the chief priests, going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Teacher, and kissed him. The man seized Jesus and arrested him. So delivered up, first of all, by Judas, one of the twelve. But then also delivered up through the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin. And the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin, was a bit like the Synod of the Reformed Presbyterian Church or the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church of Ireland. It was the highest court of the Old Testament Church. And they, on trying Jesus, reached an unsound and unsatisfactory judgment against him. And so we read in John 18, verse 28, Then the Jews led Jesus to the palace of the Roman governor. So they, as a body, uh, as a council, um, delivered Jesus up, whom Judas had delivered first to them. Now, what was it that caused Judas, one of Jesus' disciples, and the Jews, his own flesh and blood, to reject him and deliver him up to Pilate for death? Well, both Matthew and Mark provide the answer. Mark chapter 15, verse 10, Matthew 27, verse 18 states, For Pilate knew that because of envy, they delivered him up. And it's the same verb, delivered him up, because of envy. So the Jews delivered up the Christ, the King, out of envy, out of malice, out of jealousy, out of resentment in their hearts. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to Titus, teaches us that envy is a mark, it's an evidence of the corrupt mind. It's an evidence of the unregenerate nature of man. It is a feature of mankind in a sinful and godless state that there is malice, there is envy, there is resentment in the heart towards God and then towards one another. Paul puts it like this. He's speaking to them and he reminds them we ourselves were also once foolish. In other words, before our conversion. Disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating each other. The unbelieving Jews hate Jesus. Their hearts are welling up and brimming over with resentment towards him. Why? 
On what grounds? Is he an evildoer? Has he broken their law? No, he's fulfilled the commandments. But they are filled with resentment towards him because of his sinless character. Because of his widespread popularity. Because of his authoritative teaching that caused the people to hear with gladness. They're filled with resentment because of his mighty signs that show him to be God. They're filled with resentment because of his audacious claims. I am the way. I am the resurrection. I am the good shepherd. They're filled with malice towards him for his penetrating insight into their hearts and minds. He could see what was in the heart of man. And they see Jesus. They see the king as a threat to their prestige and their power and their position and their popularity and their pride. Behold your king. Delivered up by Judas and the Jews out of envy, jealous, malice, sorry, malice. And malice and jealousy and envy is just as common today. It is still a mark of fallen human nature. It exists in families between children as they grow up malice at another's popularity they have all the friends malice at another's ability oh she's better than I am at work and school or at music but it's not just in children and families malice between grown up siblings because a brother or a sister in their achievements has done better or they've been successful. Or they're prosperous. Malice exists in families. And malice, jealousy, envy is present today in workplaces. In offices. In classrooms. In staff rooms. In boardrooms. In factories. In businesses. Among doctors and nurses. Among lecturers and teachers. In policing and in the judicial system. Malice that somebody else is either promoted or somebody else is more popular or somebody else is better at their job than I am. But sadly, and saddest of all, malice is present today, even within the church. Even within the church. And there can be individuals and cliques and groups and malice between one another. Malice between the generations. Oh, the church is all focused on the young people. And the older generation, they feel neglected. Malice among leaders, all trying to outdo the other. It's an ugly thing. That lurks deep in the heart of mankind. 
because of the fall. And just because we're saved doesn't mean that somehow that malice is magically and instantly removed from us. The malice in the heart of the unbelieving Jews and the malice that resides in all of our hearts here as Christians where it resides what does it do? It delivered Jesus it was malice their malice your malice my malice towards God and towards one another that delivered Jesus up that made it necessary for him to go to the cross behold your king delivered up because of your malice and my malice and our malice you and I who profess Jesus as our Saviour today, we are commanded in Scripture, lay aside all malice, all resentment towards other believers. I ask you this morning, do you have malice in your heart sitting here in church this morning towards any other believer? Then lay it aside. Desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. You cannot harbour malice in your heart towards God or towards other believers and grow as a Christian. It is a growth stopper. And every time you display malice, either towards God or towards a fellow believer, Remember, your malice delivered Christ up to be crucified. Delivered up then by the Jews out of malice. But then let's notice, secondly this morning, Behold your king delivered up by Pilate out of Cardice. Delivered up by Pilate. Out of Cardice. The trial of Jesus before Pilate began, we're told, in chapter 18, verse 28, early morning. It lasted at least three hours. It got stretched and drawn out. Some things don't change in the judicial system. During it, the Jews made their accusations and they pressed their charges against Jesus from a distance. They didn't go into Caesar's palace. They stayed out in the courtyard below. Why? Chapter 18, verse 28. To avoid ceremonial uncleanness. You see, Pilate is a Gentile. And to a Jew, he's unclean. And if a Jew comes into contact with a Gentile when there's a holy festival on, then that Jew becomes unclean and so can't take part in the feast. What hypocrisy of these men delivering up the sinless Son of God 
and then concerned themselves about their own ceremonial uncleanness. When there's malice in their hearts and when there's uh, resentment towards Christ. And that is why then we read uh, four times of Pilate going out to them. Chapter 18, verse 29. Chapter 18, verse 38. Chapter 19, verse 4. Chapter 19, verse 13. Because they won't come in, he's got to go out and stand on a kind of balcony and address them from a distance. Now, early on in the proceedings, Pilate concludes that Jesus is not guilty of rebellion against Rome. He sees Jesus' kingship uh, as no threat either to the emperor or to the empire. Remember, that's why the Jews, they they had built their charge against Jesus, as we saw on Wednesday night, around uh, this uh, fact that Jesus had taught about the kingdom. And he taught about being a king. Because they knew Pilate wouldn't be interested in Jesus' religious claims. They had to present Jesus as a threat to the state for Pilate to be interested. But Pilate realizes this man is no threat to the state. Whatever kind of king he is, whatever kind of kingdom he's establishing, it's not against Caesar, it's not against the emperor. He believes the charges of the Jews are baseless. And on three occasions, he declares, when he goes out to this Jewish uh, crowd of leaders and people, he says in um, chapter 18, verse 38, chapter 19, verse 4, and chapter 19, verse 6, and I'm giving you a literal translation here, I do not find any fault in him. And in chapter 18, verse 38, there's an emphasis. It is, I myself, I in my legal position, I with all the authority that Rome has invested in me, do do not find any fault in him. Now, when Pilate makes the last of these declarations, chapter 19, verse 6, Jesus is standing before the Jews. And it's delivered as his judgment, because it's delivered from the seat of judgment. And he acquits Jesus of all wrongdoing. So why does he not release him? Is that not what should happen in a court of law? If a person is found innocent, by the sitting judge, that the judge should release them immediately? Well, yes, that's what should happen. But that's not what happens. Why not? Why does Pilate not dismiss the case immediately, release the prisoner, dissolve the court, and send the Jewish accusers packing? We're told in chapter 19, verse 12, that he sought to release him. You see, that gives us a clue. He wants to release Jesus. Because he knows Jesus is innocent. He has the power to release Jesus. But he won't release Jesus without the support 
or approval of the Jewish leaders and people that he rules over. Democracy. Democracy. He gives in to public opinion. Though the most powerful man in Judea, he is in fact a weak prisoner to the Jews. Now Pilate makes a number of attempts to release Jesus. Uh, first of all, in chapter 18, 39 and 40, he tries to use this long-standing custom that every Passover a prisoner is released by him. And he says, what about Jesus? And he puts up against Jesus one of the greatest robes, Barabbas. And he thinks, well, surely there's no choice here. It's a given. But it wasn't a given. Pilate was defeated in that the crowd chose Barabbas, the terrorist, over Jesus the King. Chapter 18, verse 40. No, not him. Give us Barabbas. So when that fails, Pilate orders Jesus to be flogged. Chapter 19, verses 1 to 7. And Roman flogging was without mercy. The person was stripped of clothes. The person was forced to bend over um, a, a, a low pillar. So the whole back was stretched and the skin was taut. And then the prisoner was exposed to the blows of short-handled whip with various leather thongs hanging down from it. And in those leather thongs were uh, attached pieces of bone and pieces of metal. That's what our Saviour experienced. The flogging, the hands of Pilate. And this flogging was administered with full force. And apparently if uh, the one doing it began to weaken and to tire, those standing around would say, Harder, harder, more, more. Until skin and flesh would be flying. The back torn open. Even vital organs being visible. And bones. And bloody holes. So why does Pilate have Jesus scourged? He wants to release him. It doesn't make sense. What's he about? Well you see what he's hoping to do here is. He's hoping to save Jesus again because now at this point he brings Jesus out after this flogging. And you can imagine what Jesus looks like at this stage. Is it any wonder he couldn't carry the cross? He's been weakened. He's been weakened. His back has been lacerated. It's bleeding. And so Pilate is hoping that the Jews will look at him and they'll turn away in revulsion and disgust because he appears so helpless and so ridiculous. A king, we don't need to be bothered with him. But you see again, his efforts fail. The crowd cries, crucify him. And so then in chapter 19, verses 8 to 16, he makes a third, last, desperate attempt to release Jesus. But eventually, what does he do? He gives in to the continued 
veiled threats of the mob of the democrats of the crowd chapter 12 here's what they say if you sorry verse 12 chapter 19 if you let this man go you are not Caesar's friend whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar if you let this man go you're not Caesar's friend now it seems that Caesar gave out honours just as the queen gives out medals to soldiers who serve well and who are loyal and one of these honours was known as Caesar's friend it's a bit like an MBE or a CBE highly honoured and it seems that Pilate had this honour and the Jews know this and they use this uh, as it were to torment Pilate and say you, you wear a badge, you wear a medal which says Caesar's friend and you're going to let this man go who's uh, claiming to be a king and is a threat to the empire some friend of Caesar you are and what's more we'll make sure that Caesar knows if you let him go and so if it could be suggested that Pilate has been disloyal to Tiberius then the emperor will strip him of his honour he'll remove him from his position and he'll probably put him to death and so what does Caesar do? He acts out of Cardice. Out of Cardice. And he delivers Jesus up to them. Verse 16. To be crucified. He acts out of Cardice. A failure to stick to his convictions. He knows Jesus is innocent. But he won't follow through his convictions because he wants to appease, he wants to keep on side public opinion. Notice the power of the crowd. The power of the people. It's not just a 21st century phenomenon at the ballot box. It was there in the 1st century. Now no one admires a crowd. Do they? Oh, sorry, a card. Do they? Do you admire a card? But let's stand back and ask ourselves, am I a card? Are you a card? Wanting to stand for Jesus in your family? Boys and girls, wanting to stand for Jesus in the classroom, in the playground, on the street corner, among your friends, men and women, wanting to stand for Jesus in the workplace, in the world, before friends. But we pull back to remain popular. To be well thought of. Not to be seen as an oddity. Not to be mocked. We pull back from our convictions about Jesus. And when we do that, what do we do? We're delivering up Jesus to be crucified. And we're delivering up Jesus to his enemies today. 
religious and irreligious, out of the fear of man, for the favour of man, to save ourselves from loss of position, to save ourselves from loss of power, to save ourselves from the loss of a relationship, to save ourselves from the loss of face. So here's the king, delivered up. The one hand by the Jews out of Mass, the other hand by Pilate out of Cardice. And as we close, let's ask ourselves this question. What do the Jews of Judas, on the one hand, in their malice, and Pilate, on the other hand, in this Cardice, what do they have in common? What do they have in common? What is it that brings them together? It's self, isn't it? Because malice is all about self. And cardice, it's all about self. Like the English word sin. I, as I said to the boys and girls before, what stands at the centre of the word sin, it's the letter I. And I stands at the centre of malice when we find it in our hearts. And I starts, sorry, I stands at the centre of cardice. Makes us look out for self. Makes me act for my own interests, my own well-being. And so Judas, the Jews, and Pilate, and you and me, or you and I, we have self in common by nature and that brings us to the core of sin it is self whereas the core of Christianity is Christ and this table brings us to Christ who denied self to save us and it reminds us that we have to deny self to be saved by him and to follow him and to serve him. Behold your king delivered up. Amen.